Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and we don't have something. Oh, you put that's from last week. No, that's why I just said hang on because I was going to come up with something and then you just started barreling and in. And signal switching tips. We're your hosts, Logical Engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 351. All right, last time. I'm going to mention it until next year. November 5th, this coming up Saturday. It's actually going to be the day after this podcast comes out. Um, I will be doing my extra life stream. It's a charity stream for children's hospitals over the United States. I picked the Texas Children's Hospital. Um, there's going to be a link in the show notes. Go click it, donate, etc. Um if you've been listening the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about basically my project I've been working on for it. Um, every year I just do a project uh, just to kind of flex engineering skills, I guess. Um, mostly they're software projects. Um, this year I'm kind of building my own like donation tracker app. I guess we can call it that at this point. Um, it's kind of it like a donation into- cheer app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It's more like a cheer app where like it detects through the donations, uh, there, they have a server. It detects through their API that a new donations happened. And then it like plays a random audio clip. And then because of the video games, I'm going to be playing this. Oh yeah. That, oh, that's the whole thing. I play video games for 24 hours. It's like March of dimes, except I get to sit on my butt for 24 hours instead of like walking around a bunch. Same thing. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm playing Duke Nukem Forever and Alien Clone Marines. And so I wanted to build my own like custom app that would do the donation stuff because I wanted like the character. I wanted Duke Nukem from the video game to like come on the screen and then like say like who donated and like the value. And, uh, and before this whole stream, this is why y'all should watch like us do the podcast live is I actually did a quick demo of like the the on-screen slide on and stuff and it works pretty well i i'm pretty proud of all that setup so far totally works um so last week we got to basically i was talking about like how the donation api worked all the modules i was using in the python how we were playing the audio um handling the different threads because there's two different there's a there's an audio cue thread and then there's a the API thread. And so we on, you know, basically kind of like interrupts on a microcontroller is how it's kind of set up. It's got a big, it's got a mailbox to transfer data between the threads. Um, people were commenting. I haven't posted the code yet. Like I did said I would last week. I haven't made the GitHub repository yet, but I will trust me. I, I will tonight. <laughs> it's Tuesday night right now. Um, it will happen. I'll, I'll I'll set it up um, mainly because I was waiting to get the Python stuff running. Like I wanted to make sure that part was working before I put anything out there. Um, a lot of people in our Slack community um, was talking about like different ways of doing what I did, um, which is, I mean, that's the, I guess that's with engineering, no matter what it is, hardware or software, there's always multiple ways to do something. Um, I don't know if the ways that people suggested are better or not. Um, 
it works really well how I have it set up now. And it's also really maintainable and easy to read, at least for me. Um, like I came back to it a week later and I'm like, oh, this is how this still works. So I didn't really have to like rethink it. Um, great. That's only like a week down the road though. Who knows in like another year why dust off the code for, for next year's uh, charity stream and be like, I don't know how any of this sets up anymore. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to learn your old, old code and then create a whole brand new set of requirements for a, a whole brand new project next year yeah, exactly. that goes above exactly. and beyond. Right. Um, so we got the main functionality working last week uh, and talking about it, but the piece that was lacking was my Python script talking to OBS, which is open broadcast software. Um, it's actually what we are starting to use to do the live stream to now of the, of the podcast. Um, and so OBS has its own built in like Python scripting now where you can like give it the Python interpreter uh, package and then you could just paste scripts into it and then execute the scripts in the software, which is really cool. Didn't do it that way though. Uh, Cause I think trying to run, <laughs> trying to run this giant piece of code in like a little tiny box on OBS probably wouldn't be too uh, user friendly. I think is a good, good way to put it. Um, I think that's pretty much made the, in the, internal stuff is probably for like running little tiny pieces of code, right? Um, so I needed a better way to hook into it. Um, so OBS like works with a lot of other software out there and how it works is through basically a local web server that uses WebSockets. And um, I was like, well, what the hell is a WebSocket? Um, it's something I actually never thought of before. So I was like, what makes a WebSocket unique compared to like other traffic, like internet traffic, right? Yeah. What, um, what exactly is a WebSocket? I, I, I have no idea. Well, so the HTTP or the no normal way in quotes to transmit data over the internet is the, the client sends a request to the server and then the server sends stuff back, right? So you have this like, like, I want this. And the server goes, okay, here is that. So there's like this, like, it's unidirectional, right? One talks and then the other one talks back. It's like an ask and receive thing. Yeah. Um, so WebSocket is the, the client goes to the host um, or the server and goes, I want to establish a connection with you and keep it open. And then the server goes, okay, I'm going to do that. And they make a handshake, right? And then that connection doesn't close. And so um, and the whole idea is like you, like the client knows, like there's a standard protocol to send data. And so it can just continually send data without getting anything back from the host. So it's, it's a, it sounds one directional that way, but it's actually bi-directional, like the host can talk back and it's bi-directional as well. Um, so you don't have to wait for requests and, and responses. Everything just kind of flows. So it's more real time in I'm using air quotes again, real time, uh, than the normal HTTP stuff. There's probably better ways to explain it, but that's kind of the gist I got while reading like a couple Wikipedia pages late at night. 
So I, I guess if, if at like a little bit of a fundamental level, it's it's the ability to send or it gives the ability to send a stream of data without requiring a response to each bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, basically it makes the data transfer faster. Sure. Um, and more real time. Um, funny enough, I think that's like how the entire MacFab platform works. It's on WebSockets <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, but I didn't write any of that stuff, so. Well, and of course, Python has a module for WebSockets, right? Yes, actually built for OBS as well. Um, so it's called, funny enough, OBS WebSocket. Um, it's a Python module. And it basically provides a wrapper for all the functions that OBS can do through the WebSocket. And it's a lot, like, it's, it's thousands of lines of basically function setups. And, like, um, and you can basically control anything OBS does through that WebSocket protocol. Um, now, really the only... Um, downside to OBS WebSocket, this module, is there's like two examples, okay? And one is like, we're going to like switch the scene. So like, like if you have two scenes in OBS, it will alternate between them as like a test, okay? And then the other one does, I think it just like reads the, um, what scenes you have, something like that. Some, two is really simple piece of software oh no no no! the other one does a callback actually so like if you click something in obs it will send a message to your python so like you could get events event keys basically is what that's for um so the it's awesome except the documentation because there is none like it has those examples and then that's it. Wow. And so you're like, how do I, let's say enable a source. Okay. So I just want to turn a source on. You basically have to go read through the code and find the function that you want. Great thing is it's all of its named obvious things. I think it's like set source settings or something like that. So it's like, it's super obvious. And like the code is there, like you can just read what the arguments are and you can pass the right stuff and it works. But it, it just takes a lot of digging and reading, right? You just have to know where to, the great thing is you, there's only one piece of code you have to scroll through to find those things. But it would be nice to be like, have it better formatted so it's easier to find what you're looking for. Um, and there's a second problem with it. It's now out of date. Oh no. Um, with the new, with OBS 28, and we're running 28.0.3 right now, going to the window here. Um, they actually took WebSockets and made that a core functionality part of OBS, which is great, right? It uses less resources, all that stuff. And that, uses version five of how the OBS WebSocket protocol works. It is not compatible with version four, which is what the Python module is using. 
and the Python module hasn't been updated in like two years. <laughs> but the good thing is the old plugin for WebSocket version four still works with OBS 28. So you just install it and you just use that instead. It's not as efficient, but at least it works perfectly fine. And it's backwards compatible and all that good stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, this is this is exactly the stuff that next year will come and bite you in the butt. Right? Like all of the incompatibilities. Yeah. No, I'll just read I'll just listen to this podcast again and refresh. <laughs> just my remind brain. yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um so how does it how does Duke because what this does is when it gets a donation, the script plays a sound, and then Duke Nukem's his head slides out on the screen and then a speech bubble pops up that says like Stephen Craig has donated a dollar or something like that. Okay. How does that part work? The animation part is built into OBS. So I'm using OBS to set up the animations and I'm using, since it's just like something sliding on the screen, you can use, um, uh, it's not called slide, it's called- Translation or something? Um, it is called swipe. No, there is, it's called slide. So you just use a transition, like think about in like a slide, like in PowerPoint, when you transition to a new screen or whatever, there's like an effect that you can put on it. Mm-hmm. You pretty much just have those effects built in. And so you can slide something on screen and you can actually set a time frame for how long it takes for it to happen to. And then when you turn it off, you can have a, a different animation. And so basically all my Python has to do is say, hey, when a donation happens, make that trend, make that source visible. And then OBS goes, oh, when I make this visible, I do this transition. And that's how all that handles. Um, and then the text is just, uh, it's a source too in OBS. And then you just write to like its value field in Python and it, goes over the website. So that's how like Stephen Craig shows up as a name. So that text field's always there and formatted correctly. And it's just whatever data you send it, it will display it there. Got it. Very cool. Um, so what's next? Yeah, I was so about to we, ask, is it done? So I want to put in a progress tracker now. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how to like not write HTML or like CSS to make that work. Uh, Cause you can do like, I saw some people making examples of that where like they're basically rendering in CSS and HTML, a progress bar. And you can like set a variable in JavaScript to make like the bar fill up and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I wonder if I just take a graphic and then another graphic and then just use like, I can use Python to move stuff around, right? And I can just move an icon across the screen or something. I don't know yet. That seems definitely well within the realm of possibility to make for what I can make work. Mm-hmm. Well, you have what three days to, <laughs> to finish yeah. that up. I'm, I'm gonna try to do it after the podcast <laughs> okay so but but as of right now let's say you didn't get that done you're good to go with what you have right oh yeah now. yeah it it works as a 
donation cheer thing totally right now. I just want to put like a track. And the worst case scenario for the tracker is I can just write it to a text file, right? Mm. And then I can just have OBS point a text. like It's called like text GDI plus or something like that yeah. to a file. And it can render the text in there as a thing uh, on the screen. Um, I could totally just do that. It'd be cool if it was like a progress bar and then like maybe there was like an alien from aliens like kind of like wiggling on the screen. <laughs> you never know. Maybe Extra Life will pick this code up and uh, and run with it, you know? Well, they already have their own tracker thingy. It just doesn't do any of this stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe they'll do something like that. Yeah. Or at least promote it. That'd be cool. It's been a lot of fun. Um I like doing these kind of projects like it's like the it's like having a pro it's like um defcon as well it's the same kind of thing you have like a, a hard date that you need to get something done by it's i know at work you have projects that have dates and that kind of but this is like it's for fun and the your 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 scope is whatever right and yeah. you make that whatever. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> whatever the scope yeah, is. It, uh, the, the word I, 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 that comes to mind for that is self-contained, even though I don't know that yeah. necessarily no, makes no, sense. It's, but it's a self-contained project, as in, like, you know the beginning, you know the end, uh, you yeah. know what you want to get done. Let's say push comes to shove and, and you didn't accomplish everything, like, not end of the world, but, like, not if end you the world. do get it all done, then it's really great. Yeah, those, those projects yeah. are super fun. And... That's that's why I like I like this kind of event. Like DefCon was snacky, um, and this is you know extra life charity stream. It's just one of those like I like doing this kind of stuff. Like it's a one off. Like again, next time I ever look at this, if I even I'll probably do extra life again next year. But it might be come up with a completely different idea for the project. I don't even look at this anymore, right? So it's yeah. like one time use is the is what's probably going to happen if i use it again awesome if not oh well it's just weird way to think about projects that way because most of my I, other projects are like cars it's something i'm going to use every day when it's done that, okay that, i was just about to mention uh it, it has a completely different feel from uh like a work style project because uh, those have deadlines that you're you're trying to meet for someone else, and then after mm -hmm. that deadline that you, you're done with whatever that project, you usually have to support it. And yeah, support. You, you're always adding new projects, but you're never getting rid of the support. And uh, yeah. with with this kind of thing, like I said, it's self-contained. Once it's done, it's done. And it's it, done. if you kick it up again, like you you might do next year, it's a whole brand new self-contained project. Yeah, yeah, you might be bringing in the code from last year but yeah once it's done there's no support for it anymore right yeah right isn't that like the bane of of open source projects though well we we, we had a whole episode about that a handful of weeks ago it's like how how long is acceptable to consider the the originator supporting their code well in this instance it's probably like you only get one one push on the github <laughs> if, if anything, what you have done is you've now taken the two examples for that module and made it three. 
right? Oh, I, you're actually right. I've made it three because I can't find anyone ever really posting their code about with use. A lot of people have used this. Like you go into the issue tracker, there's issues. Um, people talk about it a little bit on like stack up, uh, stack up overflow, um, and that kind of stuff. But no one's actually posting like their scripts that they are interfacing with it. Yeah. So this is yeah, you're right. This is going to be example three on the internet. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually surprised with Stack Overflow not having more. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It's Stack Overflow, not Stack Up Overflow. Stack Up Overflow yeah. would be the hardware version, right? Yeah, I got PCBs on the brain. <laughs> yeah, so, donation tracker, progress bar thingy. Um. I, I, oh man, I think I need to make it a bar and then like an icon that like, like kind of like moves all the time. Oh, well, yeah, but only moves when a donation comes in, right? Or is it just like uh, constantly dancing down there? It could, it could just constantly dance. That would be really funny if it would, if you had a xenomorph for the alien portion doing some kind yeah. of a jig the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, a JPEG just flipping back and forth, like just mirroring <laughs> itself. Yeah. So, so I, I love actually what I really like about that is you spend all this time making this whole back end custom program to display something that's a crappy JPEG. <laughs> well, PNG, so you have an alpha layer at least. Oh, sure. You have to have some trans yeah. transparency, right? <laughs> Get a little fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, what, November 5th? 8 a.m. is when we start? 8 a.m. I, I, I know I'm going to be doing, um, I, I have it planned right now, a bunch of house cleaning on uh, November 5th. So I'm going to throw Parker up on the uh, on the TV and just have you going on in the background while I clean the house. I'll be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, actually, so for any of those who are not able to make it to the stream, you can still donate. Uh, where's the, uh, what's the link for them to donate, Parker? It is extra-life.org slash participant slash Parker hyphen Dillman. Uh, the link will be in our show notes and I'll tweet about it. Um, There's many yeah, so ways you, to find you it. You can't make the stream, which is going to be Saturday, 8 a.m. to Sunday, 8 a.m. So 24 hours. Actually, it's 25 hours. Because okay. the uh, time time change. Oh, happens Sunday at one o'clock or two o'clock. Oh my gosh, you time travel during it. Yeah. Um, so I will. We will time travel one hour back. I think that's how that works. Th this weekend. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should do an animation for the time travel. <laughs> like just ha have like a, like hyperspace kind yeah, of just, uh, animation what? in the back. <laughs> oh, that's actually the next thing I. It's not part of my code, but I have to get it working. I think there's just a plugin that makes this work. Um, I need to get my blue screen working. Oh, do you buy you bought one? Yeah, I have a a, a like eight dollar blue bed sheet, <laughs> and a uh, that works. And I have a clothes like a clothes rack that's on wheels, and I just like I'm just going to drape it over that and call that good. Yeah. Um. I get that working too. So I think I'm just assuming that's going to work. <laughs> that's like 
an application that just makes a virtual webcam and then like I point my webcam at it and it just alpha cuts me out on the blue and everything's good. Yeah. Cross your right? fingers. It's not easy, right? So uh, you have three basic events during your stream. Yeah, you're playing one game, then stopping making a pizza, play, and then playing the other game. Just yeah. as a last point here, what happens if you complete all of those and it, and it's, you still have time? Uh, we just start picking random video games and start playing them. Okay, I like it. Uh, last time it was... Oh, oh, what Star did we Fox, do? Right? We played Star Fox, but we still, live, we still had time left over even after that. Okay. Um, I can't remember what else we played. That like the last like three hours get really fuzzy. Well, I'm sure you're up for twenty four straight. Get, get tired. Well, and also like towards the end you start dying, and so uh, oh yeah, that's that's so if I die in the games, you die for real. No, uh, you take a shot of alcohol. <laughs> And then, Good like, um, and then towards the end, too, like, basically, we were, uh, some people were, it was like six o'clock in the morning, were still up with me. And when someone would donate, we'd all take shots, too. Oh, wow. Because we were like, oh, we were like over, well over our goal. And so, yeah, when like seven o'clock in the morning hit, it was like everyone was, drunk in the morning on sunday <laughs> oh that's classy well, i just can't it was hard it's hard to remember those last couple hours man sure but well, yeah, i'm looking forward done. to it should be a lot of fun yep oh i can't wait i can't wait to be done with the script i'm so happy with it well it sounds like you're done ish yeah I, yeah i just want to get the track i, I well, that's right because actually i already have the infrastructure there it's just making the assets and then making it work in the obs thingy right yeah but like i uh, like i was kind of mentioning earlier if, if if you were to stop right now you'd have something that gets oh, you yeah. to the street yeah so so yeah. like you're done everything else is nice on top yep it's just, this is just the uh the gravy on top of the chicken fried steak that, that's a Texas saying right there. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to the next topic. Um, yeah. Complete 180 here. We're going to talk about something else. Uh, so I, I just have some tips that um, I've kind of picked up and actually been reading about recently. Just some uh, some stuff from some de design tips for uh, signal switching. Um, something. Something that I deal with quite a bit in, in my field, but uh, I feel like it's really useful and there's not as much information out there as I would expect. Because I've certainly done a bit of uh, searching around the internet for, for tips on how to do signal switching in your circuitry. And there's, there's stuff, but a, a lot of things seems to be lacking. So I thought I'd just give a, a, a couple uh, of my thoughts on that. So like signal switching meaning let's say you have whatever signal analog or digital and you want to steer it to other portions of your circuit what are some useful ways of doing that and uh what are some implications of switching one circuit on and dealing with all the other circuits that are now not on uh, so, so an example would be like let's say you have one 
ADC input and you needed to read four shunts, current shunts. Right. And that functionality wasn't inside the chip. Yes. Well, uh, you were another, using like an analog input on a microcontroller. Yeah, right. Uh, so like muxing inputs and things like that. Uh, mm. Another another uh, situation that, uh, or, or yeah, some uh, another situation that, that, that comes to mind is, say you have some kind of, uh, you have some kind of box that takes an analog input and the user has the option to have it go straight to your ADD in your in your box or you could have it go through some analog filtering first. Being oh, able like to switch it in first. Yeah, yeah. If you want to low pass yeah. it, you could switch your circuit over to a low pass. Uh, so, you know, what are good methods of getting your signal to switch in oh, between those? And, uh, and simpler is like in a, a guitar stomp pedal we have the bypass switch, which is yep. the signal the guitar signal just goes around all your circuitry on the inside. Right, right. Well, and, and actually, you know, the, the, the guitar example is almost typically the guitar examples are the easiest of them. And that's just a mechanical switch. Yeah, mechanical like, big switch. Almost almost 100% of the time. It's a mechanical switch that just hard switches it from one side to the other. And the beauty of that kind of situation is that it's just, it's really easy to understand. It's really easy to wire, but it's the least, shall we say, elegant. And uh, it's the least, it, it doesn't always cover your butt because there can be issues with doing that. Like mm -hmm. mechanical switches are, are, are a physical thing inside the switch that has to actually ram together and make connection. Well, you got bounce, you got, uh, you can, you can introduce pops. If, if your switch, depending on how you wire things up, you, you, the, the, the circuit that you're switching out might not actually be off. In fact, I've, I've, heard, um, I've heard an interesting word in describing that as offness. Like the, you can actually describe how much a circuit is n not part off. of your circuitness by an offness in a, in a, in a you know, uh, represented by like a DB level kind of thing. It's sort of like crosstalk when you're not wanting crosstalk. Uh, yeah, I'll say coupling. It's yeah, kinda like, yeah, yeah, like like yeah. coupling. So mechanical switches are really easy to understand, and uh, you know they come in all different flavors. So so it's just really s the simplest way. Now now when it comes to switching your circuit or switching your signal to go to different portions of your circuit, there's a few different ways of of thinking about how to do it. Like with a with a series style switch, that's like the the most simple uh, method where your signal goes into a switch and it gets steered or directed one way or the other uh and let's say let's take the example of the low pass filter where you where you want to either engage it to go through a low pass filter or just bypass you have two switches two two position switches on the front and back of that low pass switch and in series you just switch your input and your output to that low pass filter or you switch back into a bypass state that's sort of one of the easiest ways to steer your signal the one thing that that doesn't necessarily cover is when you switch off into the bypass state what's happening with the inputs and the outputs of your circuit that you switched off uh you know uh, you know it's good practice to have a grounded input of some sort yeah. uh, or at least have a ground path uh, at your input but the output of 
that low pass filter where's it going to you know it should have some kind of path to ground as well but if it's just sitting there floating that can introduce issues or it could just radiate like it's just amplifying whatever let's it's a amplifier circuit yeah yeah and so it's amplifying whatever noise is on your ground plane basically at that point right right uh the next kind of method of switching is actually shunt switching which instead of like hard switching the signal to a different location it actually you can just ground certain points like take for instance in that same situation with switching to a low pass what if your input went to the you know it bypassed the low pass but it also at the same time connected to the input and you could you know through resistance you could uh ground the input or ground the output of your low pass filter and effectively turn it off the uh, shunt switching actually has a lot of benefits in terms of um being able to shunt your switch to or shunt your signal to ground and prevent pops because you don't actually have to fully switch the signal over from one location to another you're effectively just turning that that portion of your circuit off uh and then there's of course the mixture of those two types of switching there's series and shunt and that's sort of like the cream of the crop in terms of you get everything you want you're you're physically hard switching to a different location and then the circuit that you want off you want the maximum offness you're shunting its inputs and outputs to ground so if you combine all of those that's you know the the most expensive and the most uh the most amount of parts but that also is the most amount of guarantee that you you don't get crosstalk you don't uh, you get fewer pops um and you your signal is exactly where you want it to be so series shunt and then series shunt and uh you know we'd already mentioned mechanical switches mechanical switches are probably like I said, the easiest way to do it, and they come in all the different flavors, a uh, number of different poles, number of different. Um, uh, you can get as many pins as effectively you want on on switches, um, but they end up being bulky. They're expensive. They're hard to harder to design around. Relays are sort of another, uh, not another. They're 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 sort of like the next step of like ease. Uh, because it's just a coil that you can apply a voltage to and then it does all the switching for you so relays are like the electrical version of mechanical switch in terms of easiness but they also suffer from a lot of problems of being expensive and large and harder to get and a little bit more difficult to design around i think one of the easiest ways when talking about uh analog and digital uh circuits is like analog switches that offer digital um digital path as well and one of the series that i've talked about a handful of times on the podcast but i'll bring it up again is the dg series of switches which is analog switches that uh, replicate relays and mechanical switches in all the different flavors so you can get sbst sbdt dbdt uh you can get four to one eight to one multiplexers you can basically get any kind of flavor you want with dg switches and they come in surface mount really convenient packages and a, and a large portion of the dg series have very high voltage ranges which is nice you can get them up to like 44 volts so if you're trying to switch uh you know large signals around dgs usually have ranges that work for what you're looking for and many of the switches also have separate control voltage and signal voltage connections so let's say you're switching 24 volt 
signals and you want to do it right from a 3.3 volt microcontroller, a lot of the DG chips will allow you to do that. So <clears throat> really convenient for... So they have an isolation steering. in there built in. That, yeah, that's right. That's right. So you, uh, so you don't have to have the same signal level as you do control level. DG Those are made by Vichy, right? A lot of a lot of manufacturers make them. Vichy, I think Maxim oh, okay. makes them. Yeah, the D, uh, So we use a lot of DG two one two uh, twos at work, which those are quad SPST switches. So that just allows us to uh, you can you can configure them basically how you want. If you just have that many switches, you can combine them and mix them in whatever. Uh, type you want and those are uh, you can get you can actually get those in a, in a handful of different flavors but they're high voltage with a separate digital control and then you just get four analog switches available and the nice thing is they have they have pretty good offness so when they're off there's no signal there and then when they're on their their throughput resistance is pretty their low. offness is really low their offness is really low and their onness is really on basically and now I've also I've used these switches before to uh, do some like chopping where I take a signal and I chop it to ground so I can, you know, uh, I chop faster than the fundamental frequency of the signal itself. And so I can get like I can PWM chop a signal and I've had these signals, uh, these analog switches going up in the multi hundred kilohertz and they work beautifully. So they're really fast. And uh, they do a good job in both series and shunt configuration. So if you have something like a quad uh, switch chip, like uh, the DG2112, you can implement series shunt switching uh, pretty easily in a single chip. So um, I know that was a, a lot right there, but uh, I, use, I use these chips so much now. Like uh, just because most of most of the stuff I've been designing isn't just single in out kind of thing. There's not like yeah, half, one input half one your out. product is signal routing. Yeah, like I have I have so many building blocks all around, and I need signals to be able to switch to go all over the place, or I need to do unique features like chopping up a signal. And uh, these DG series chips has been absolutely critical in that sense so but but you know all of this applies to virtually any kind of analog circuit here uh when thinking about how to get your signals around your circuit you know if your circuit's really simple where it's just you know one input one output and there's signal conditioning in between that's that's really straightforward but as soon as you start getting to the point where you have user options and you need to start doing something uh, more unique things with them, you're going to have to steer the, the signals around and um, using using switches like the DGs makes that considerably easier. So, It's been a while since I've used analog switches. Um, I think, uh, man, I think it was the my third or fourth circuit board I ever sold. Um I made an Atari Atari 7800 video mod. And what makes the Atari 7800 weird, it's basically an Atari 2600 like stuck together with an Atari 7800 basically, right? Okay. Um or 7200 I should say. Um so basically it's like it's backwards compatible with like the older Atari 
except it's backwards compatible by having all that hardware already in there. Hmm. And so the switch between basically like the video chip is I had a way to sense when it was in 2600 and 7200 mode. And then it could, it just had an analog switch to point to a different uh, chroma, basically video signal. Oh, that's cool. Um, and yeah, that used a little tiny little analog switch. And that was a long, long time ago. I think it was a it was a SPDT as well. I wish I knew about these DG series though. You know they get they get kind of expensive, and during uh, the last few years, finding them has become a little bit difficult. But uh, yeah, but I think that they're they're so useful that they're pretty much worth worth the cost. And mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, if you're really looking for if your circuit absolutely needs really good offness then using a series shunt kind of uh switching is becomes a little bit more critical and and you know if you can have like the all of that in one chip like i said with the quad kind of thing where you're mm-hmm. shunting the inputs and outputs of whatever circuit you're not doing that's one of the best ways to get offness so the um gosh i've i've in in the circ in in the product that we're releasing right now, it's it's coming off the pick and place. I think it was supposed to be finished today. I think I have eight different uh, analog switch chips on it for just doing all kinds of signal routing of things. Yeah, and um, you know some of these too uh, just have their unipolar so. Uh, Usually the cheap ones are unipolar, which works fine for steering around, you know, low speed digital uh, signals. I usually uh, I'm not spitting around high speed stuff, you know, like kilohertz, hundreds of kilohertz kind of stuff. But um, some audio. (laughs) Well, a bit faster than audio, but yeah, the uh, the but some of the bigger ones, a lot of the bigger uh, bigger ones offer um, bipolar ranges. So you, you need. You need large bipolar they can uh support that like the 44 48 volt ones but they do tend to get a little bit expensive then and then um we have a follow-up from last week with the uh estimating project time which was our big topic last week Sort of, yeah. At the at the end of uh, at the end of the podcast last week, we were I had mentioned something about finishing up a, a a PCB layout project and trying to estimate the time that it would take or it took to do that, and then asking the question, what's a good way of estimating time for the for the future? Yeah. And and uh, John John Piper or sorry, not John Josh Piper in our Slack channel uh, brought up. A, a a tool that that he uses or and has used i guess he's uh, involved in it somehow uh called doom check which by the way i love that that name that's fantastic <laughs> uh it's called doom check and it's a really cool tool that allows you to uh, input information through a text file and it uses and this is the the exact wording here probability distribution to estimate timing for projects so you can kind of choose is this like Best case, worst this, case scenario. Is this just for PCBA projects? Not. Uh, I think it's more generic than that. Uh, okay. I th- he he said he's used it for PCB projects, but I think it's a little bit more geared towards software. 
So it's more of a model. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a model where you provide best case, worst case uh, scenario kind of things. Oh. And then it uses uh, probability to you. kind of guesstimate what, what, it, what it thinks the project's going to take. So yeah, it, yeah. you kind of you build in risk into the estimator. Yeah, but you have to provide it basically, here's the minimal, here's the maximums, here's the risk, like almost like a Gaussian curve of like how that hits that range probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, I like that better than just, here's how much I expect to, to do each portion of my project, add them all up and say that's it. Yeah. Uh, the, I, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't played around too much with Doom Check, um, but it seems like it's going to give you a minimum, maximum, and an expected uh, kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, that's actually, I, I really like that in terms of presenting that to uh, someone. Say like, if all the stars align... You'll have it on this date. If you know, if all the shit hits the fan, you'll have it on this date. Here's your doom doom number. I like. I I, I <laughs> kind of get the feeling that that it starts with the word doom because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doom. I got to take a look at that doom yeah. check. That's that's pretty cool. So yeah, appreciate you uh, sharing that with us, Josh. Yeah. And so, if you have any other ways to estimate projects or tips. For routing signals, or want to tell me how to write Python better, because everyone seems to do wants to do that. Um, let us know on Slack, macfab.com/slack. And that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. And the live stream is 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time on Tuesday. Twitch.tv slash MacFab. I think that's all the information you need to go find it. Or just follow one of us on Twitter. That, that way you get notified when we go live. <laughs>